Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hands. Ephesians chapter 5, we're studying verse by verse through the entirety of the book of Ephesians. We come today to verse 15, and Lord willing, our text will take us through verse 20. The title of the message, The Walk of Wisdom, The Walk of Wisdom. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus about their walk, their behavior, their everyday practices in life, and this is what he says, therefore be careful how you walk, not as an unwise man, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. May the Lord add his blessing the reading and hearing of his word. Now, a week ago, Friday night, at our conference here on Fruitful Work, I mentioned a group of people called the Puritans. The Puritans, as you know, were English Reformed Protestants who sought to purify the Church of England from some of its more Catholic doctrine and practices. And many of those Puritans migrated here to America and what is present-day northeastern portion of the country, particularly New England area. And they brought, of course, their beliefs with them. But today, if someone were to say you're puritanical in your thinking, you would be thought to be too rigid in your beliefs. It has often been noted that the Puritans live by conviction rather than opinion. And I believe there's a lot we could learn from the Puritans. Because the Puritans believe very strongly in the existence of moral absolutes. That is, there is evil in the world that is to be avoided and there's righteousness to be pursued. In other words, they took our text, Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, very seriously. Now, for a number of weeks, we've been studying what the Apostle Paul refers to as the Christian walk. He's speaking there of the trajectory of our life. That is, the pattern of behavior, speech, and attitudes that lead us in a certain direction. And here in the text this morning, he says that our walk as Christians is to be marked by wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs 3.13 says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. A lot of people talk about wisdom. Wisdom's more talked about than it is attained. The Bible instructs that we should pray for wisdom to seek after it with our whole heart. But what is it? Would we recognize it if we found it? Well, simply put, wisdom is the ability to judge or discern those things which are right, real, and valuable. You might want to jot that down. Wisdom is the ability to judge or to discern those things which are right, real, or valuable. And so we could save a business person. A wise business person is someone who makes wise, good decisions on what is valuable, about money or in the marketplace. A wise shopper is someone who makes good and wise decisions in the grocery store. And therefore a wise Christian is someone as a habit of life makes good and godly decisions about their life. And so 
The question we seek to answer this morning is, how can we become men and women marked by wisdom? Well, Paul tells us, beginning in verse 15, first of all, he says, you have to keep your head on a swivel. Therefore, be careful how you walk. That word there in the King James is translated as the word circumspectly. It means to be careful, exact, strict, precise, giving close attention to the way that you walk. The word circumspect is from the Greek word akribos. Circumspect means 360 degrees. To circumscribe something is to go around in a complete circle. So the Christian who is walking circumspectly is aware of dangers and temptations that could come from any direction. When you're driving, you're constantly checking your mirrors, right? You'll check your left mirror, your right mirror, your, your rear view mirror. You'll look out front and you're constantly doing that, or you should be if you're driving on DFW roads because there are dangers in every direction, sometimes those you can't even see. We bought a, a, a minivan this spring and it has a new feature that we've never had before. It's called uh, blindside protection and it has saved us a number of occasions already. When someone's coming in your blindside from behind you, passing you, it has a signal that lights up in your, your mirror that warns you, don't merge into the next lane. Well, the Bible is like that, right? It warns us. There's dangers in all directions. Our job is to walk circumspectly. Now, Paul gives the other side of that equation, the negative side. He says, not as unwise or not as a foolish person. Fools, as opposed to the wise, are not circumspect when they're living their life. They're rather flippant and careless and oblivious to temptation and sin and danger. Now the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the fool has said in his heart, no God. I used to think that meant the atheist is a fool. Well, that probably is true, but it means more than that. What it really says is the fool has said, no God, He's saying, I reject the God of the Bible. I don't want his conditions on my life. I don't want his supernatural sovereignty over me. And so what they tend to do is either ignore God's word or else, even worse, they malign God's word. Yet the wise man, the Bible says, studies and meditates upon God's word. And then he asks God to help him apply it. James 1.5, if anyone needs wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men freely and upbraideth not. And so the beginning of wisdom is to keep your head on a swivel. As you're walking the Christian walk, you need help to make decisions about what is right and real and valuable so that you can reject those things that are wrong and worthless. And a orderly walk is one that is in the habit of making right decisions, the wise walk. So secondly, we must keep our eyes on the clock, verse 16. He says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed to every man once to die and then to be judged by God. With every passing year, I am reminded that my clock is ticking. Probably you had the same experience. And I'm asked the internal question constantly, how am I going to spend the rest of my days? Because truthfully, none of us know how many days we have left to spend. And so we must uh, keep our eyes off on the clock, rather. I'm reminded of the words and the voice of John Piper, 
a voice that I listened to that day on Shelby Farms in Memphis, Tennessee, when he stood before tens of thousands of young people, college students primarily in their 20s, and he shouted to the top of his lungs, don't waste your life. I remember it because he'd seen so many of his peer group waste their lives on sex and drugs and rock and roll in the 1960s and 70s. He had seen his friends' children waste their lives on greed and the pursuit of materialism in the 1980s and 90s. And now I fear that many of their grandchildren are wasting their lives tethered to the latest form of technology and social media. Paul is screaming, as it were, to the top of his lungs to the Ephesians Christians, don't waste your life. Make the most of your time. Redeem it is what it means. Redeem, as you know, means to buy back. When we describe our salvation, one of the things that Jesus did for us on the cross is that he redeemed us, didn't he? He purchased our freedom. We were slaves to our own sin and sinfulness. And through his cross, his shed blood, he set us free. And the purchase price for our freedom was his own blood. Now Paul says to purchase your time, that is rescue your time from wasting it. He wants Christians to make an effort to walk in wisdom by making the most of their days. He says, because the days are evil, are they ever They were evil in Paul's day. He was talking about the philosophies of life and the systems of the world 2,000 years ago. How much more so today? The, the, The days are evil. The times are bad. There are allurements and distractions that would seek to keep us from that which is best. And a wise person is someone who pursues the best way to spend your time. Here's what I mean. There are certain activities and behaviors and attitudes that we know from Scripture are to be avoided because God puts them in the category of sin, either sins of omission or commission. Look at the Ten Commandments. We're not to waste our time by lying or stealing or committing adultery or coveting things which are are not ours. We know that's off limits. But I think also included here when he talks about making the most of our days is avoiding those things which may not be necessarily evil in and of themselves. They're just not what is best for a Christian. How many times have I vowed after a day of watching college football, never again, (laughs) am I going to spend an entire day watching football because it comes to nothing, especially when you lose. (laughs) And yet, I know the temptation will be there next Saturday. Make the most of your time. I've often said that I believe that Satan's greatest and most effective strategy on my own life, Keith Sanders I'm talking about, is the four corners offense. Some of you don't remember Dean Smith, but for years he was the basketball coach of the University of North Carolina and and they were good. And the shot clock came into being because of his strategy and others like him. Back then, if, if you got an eight point lead, they would go into the four corners. They'd put their four fastest men at the four corners of the half court, and they'd put their tallest man in the middle, and they'd play keep away until the clock ran out. You never got the ball back, and you lost. 
Well, Satan seems to be doing that with many of our lives. It's not that we're involved necessarily in overt evil. It's that we're so busy in things that don't amount to anything. He's tossing the ball over our head and the clock is ticking down and one day it will strike zero. Redeem the days. Make the most of your time. God help us to redeem our time. Don't be foolish, he says. Don't follow foolish people. Don't be engaged in foolish activities, but instead understand what the will of God is. Now we know that the will of God is found primarily in the pages of the Bible. So it is never a waste of time to study the word, right? Never a waste of time to go to Sunday school or come to church or have family devotionals. Now let's get very personal. Put the cork in the bottle. One of the ways to make wise decisions is to keep the cork in the bottle. Look at verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul here gives one example of wasteful practices to avoid, and that is drunkenness. Now, we know drunkenness is in that category of sinfulness. The Bible prohibits drunkenness in both Testaments. Do not be drunk with wine. That was a real problem in the city of Ephesus. Not just because it's a problem in every major city, it is, but because it was associated with their worship practices. The Romans had a god called Bacchus. And the way you worship Bacchus is to throw a party and get as drunk as you possibly could. In fact, people love to worship Bacchus. Did it every chance they got. But Paul says, you Christians coming out of that lifestyle don't do that any longer. Don't be drunk with wine. He says it's dissipation. That means it's, it's a waste. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of health. It's a waste of brain cells. In the summer of 2001, I had the opportunity to spend uh, about three or four months in the nation of uh, Russia, primarily in two large cities, St. Petersburg and Moscow. And over the weekend of July the 21st of 2001, I found myself in Moscow. It just happened to be the hottest summer on record in the city of Moscow. I left Texas to get out of the heat and I went to Moscow. It was the hottest they'd ever had. And I remember that weekend, we kept hearing the reports of, and seeing really, dead bodies being pulled out of the Muscova River, one after the other. And on the news and in the newspapers, they were warning people to stay away from the river but what was happening is that people would get inebriated, they would go down the river to cool off, and they would slip and fall and drown. And I, I seem to remember that that weekend there were 32 people that drowned in the city of Moscow. And I thought to myself this week, surely I'm remembering that wrong. There couldn't be 32 people. Well, I was right, there weren't 32 people, there were many, many more than that. In fact, I looked up an article from that week, and this is what it said. A vicious heat wave in Russia has people there flocking to the nearest bodies of water in search of relief. But the scorching temperatures combined with many Russians' infamous drinking habits have resulted in the drowning deaths of hundreds of people every week. Last week alone, 233 Russians, some of them children, died in drowning accidents according to the emergency ministry. Over 1,200 died in the month of June alone. The majority of those who drowned were drunk. Ministry official Vadim Seriogin said on Wednesday, the children died because adults were simply too drunk to look after them. Paul says drunkenness is a waste. It's a waste of life. 
It's a waste of health. It's a waste of time. Every one of us can look back on our life and think of friends and acquaintances who flunked out of school because of drunkenness. And those that graduated, many of them lost their jobs and families because of the effects of alcohol. And some have even lost their very lives. What a waste. Now, I'm going to tell you something very personal. When I was a boy, I came to know the Lord at the age of seven. And I made a commitment, a resolution. One of those Puritans that I admire so much is a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And when Edwards was just a lad, he wrote down a series, many dozens of resolutions. He knew how he wanted his life to honor God. He wanted the trajectory, the walk of his life to be that marked out by wisdom. And so he made some decisions before the circumstances arose. I encourage you to do that. Make some decisions about how you're going to respond before the actual circumstances happen. That way you don't have to wonder what you're going to do. And so as a young boy, as to his teenage years, he made some resolutions. Well, when I was a boy, when I was a boy, I certainly was no Jonathan Edwards, but I made a resolution that I would not drink alcohol. And with the Lord's help, I kept that resolution. And I have never regretted it one time. Young people, there's many dozens of you in the room today. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Do you know what is a 100% guaranteed, lock sure way never to violate that commandment? Never take a drink of alcohol. Never take your first drink. The Lord will help you to keep that commitment. Because Paul says there's something better than being filled with alcohol, controlled with wine, and that is being filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, a person who's filled with wine is controlled by the alcohol, right? They do things and say things they wouldn't do in any other circumstance. A person that's filled with the Spirit is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, is He going to lead you down a path of unrighteousness? Absolutely not. The Bible says He leads us to all truth. When we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh, the Bible says. Now, here's what... Being filled with the Spirit does not mean, it doesn't mean rolling down the aisle of the church barking like a dog. It doesn't mean speaking in gibberish that no one can understand. Being filled with the Spirit means that every day of your life, the Holy Spirit has first place and He is marking your steps. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Your path is your walk. It is the trajectory of your life. Paul says, have a walk that is marked by wisdom. And to have a walk that is marked by wisdom, we need to submit to the sovereignty and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever seen someone who is drunk, whose his life is marked by a series of wise decisions as it relates to that which is right and real and valuable? I haven't. But a person who is filled with the Spirit, his life is going to be like that. Well, we must move on. Fourthly, we should have a mouth full of praise. 
Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now there has been much made about this verse as the, the difference between a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song. I imagine uh, Matt or David, one of these men who have degrees in music, could, could tell us more specifically. And there are some nuances of difference. A, a psalm is, is right from the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. In fact, many of the, the old churches only allowed the Psalms to be sung in churches, no other kind of, of music. But I, I think we're allowed to do that according to this verse because he says, speak to one another also in, in hymns. Now hymns are songs about God and his providence. Some of the other false gods had music and, and they would sing hymns to them. Why shouldn't God's people sing unto him a new song? He, he commands us to. And then spiritual songs, I think, are for mutual edification. When we think about the doctrine of the Bible, when we think about the Lord's goodness to our life, we're encouraged as we sing to one another. But, but I think there's something else we dare not miss here in this verse, and that is this. One of the great truths of Scripture is that we're on this walk, every Christian is, we don't have to walk alone. Aren't you glad of that? We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He tells us there. And in fact, in these three verses, we have all three members of the Trinity, don't we? He says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, verse 20, give thanks in the name of Jesus through God, even the Father. This is exactly what David had in mind, I think, when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. When he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art what? With me. The Lord's presence in our lives gives us great encouragement on this walk. But not only that, not only do we have the Holy Spirit walking with us and in us, we have one another. I think that's what he wants to remind us of when he tells us to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're not alone. You need to tell each other the truth. Because when we tell each other the truth, it encourages us, right? It encourages us to keep going. Take another step forward. Don't get distracted. Yes, while your head is on a swivel and you're aware of the dangers all around you. Your mouth is to be filled with praise to the Lord. And look, I, I'm normally not real hard on people who don't sing out loud in church because I've heard myself a time or two. But dear ones, he's talking about a person who is so in love with Jesus, who is moved by the things of God that he can't help but spontaneously birth forth in praise. Did you hear the lyrics to the song the choir sang a moment ago? If I don't praise the Lord, the rocks are going to cry out. God is so worthy of praise. Somebody's going to praise him. It ought to be God's people, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You don't have to sing beautifully our own pitch, but you need to declare to one another the goodness of our God, and we need to be reminded ourselves and because it makes us thankful people. And I think verse 20 is inextricably tied to verse 19. He says, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When we sing, we're reminded of the attributes of God, of the goodness of God, of the salvation of God, which causes us to, to thank Him. 
The scripture says that our Lord inhabits the praise of his people. So, so the question is, what is wisdom? Wisdom is discerning and judging that which is good and right and full of value. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to have our head on a swivel. We have to understand that there is danger all around us. We have to be looking in all directions. Secondly, we have to have our eyes on the clock. We have to know that our life is short. Therefore, we must redeem the time, rescue wasted time, and take it back. And then we need to keep the cork in the bottle. Christians should have no part of drunkenness. There are people in your life, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors who are looking to you as an example. Don't be wasteful in that area. And then finally, we must have a mouthful of praise. Don't let the rocks cry out in your place. Give glory to God every opportunity you get. If we do those things, we'll find ourselves on a walk of wisdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for it, Lord, because it is active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, it has rebuked some of us this morning. It has encouraged some of us. And Lord, it has done its work in my own heart. Forgive me, Father, for wasted time. Help me, Lord, to redeem it in days ahead. Whatever time you give me, Lord, help me to use it for your glory. Father, I pray if there's a person now in this room who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray your spirit would move mightily in this place and convict that soul of sin in their own heart, of the righteousness that you require and the judgment that is yet to come. Lord, draw them by your spirit to salvation. Father, I thank you for many in this room who are born again, who are saved. And yet, Lord, we know this world is a dark place. There's danger all around us, temptation. Father, help us to walk circumspectly. Help us to walk exactly. Father, if there's resolutions that we need to make, things that we need to cast off from us so that we may walk in a wise way. Help us, Father, to make those decisions Help us to be discerning, Father, that which is good and right and valuable. Help us not to follow fools, Father, who would seek to lead us astray. Father, I would pray now that uh, we would be a people marked by thanksgiving and praise to you. Help us not be ashamed, Lord, to sing of your glory and of your salvation. Help us to encourage one another while it is called today. Lord, do these things in and through us, for your own name's sake, through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.